I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And you know what I don't like? I don't like articles that promote the five best workouts to achieve A, B, C, or the five superfoods to give you boosts of energy. What do they call it? Clickbait or something? Well, today, I'm going to do my own five rules. I know, I apologize, but I do hope that it has a little more substance. For time star fitness enthusiasts, what are the five fundamental key rules to commit to on a daily, weekly, monthly, and even annual basis? Rules that if you nail down as habits will serve you to retain consistency and realize the benefits of your hard work. In other words, intentional focus. That's what we're after today. And we dig deep, provide my five rules of performance, and the mission is to help you not just improve in sport, but to thrive in health, work, energy, and life. It's, well, some might call it a fun and accessible show today. We're going to be digging into some really juicy content over the coming weeks, so I thought I'd give you just a little bit of relief. Before we reveal all, let's do the squatty update for the week. Yes, for the squatty update, I have a feeling it's time to pivot. In last week's show, I outlined two alternate paths for coaches in planning over the weeks and years ahead for athletes. One was carved towards a return to racing as we edge back towards our normal. And the other path was kind of the contingency, races not happening, even a potential reversal into some form of sustained sheltering place. Just a week later, for Purple Patch, We are straddling both paths. We're creating pathways to create challenges, both individual and athlete-wise. And I start to feel like we're edging towards that second path. We might need to draw out the contingency. And so, what are we doing? It's time to create our own alternate reality. We want to develop challenges for our athletes. Challenges that can create our own compass, have our own events and drive towards success, give something to give meaning and ambition to all of this hard work we're piling in. And so we're designing challenges, purple patch challenges. And each of the challenges will include things that, number one, create a sense of accomplishment. Number two, have a healthy dose of friendly competition. And finally, number three, lean into the all-important power of community. We are in, how do we call it, creative mode, designing aspects that can suit all levels and all commitments, some being race light, others being more completion and more social, but having to create a compass no matter what the world situation occurs. What we have is community. We also have a distinct methodology. And we are all, every Purple Patch athlete, on a path to thrive individually, to improve, to grow. And we all appreciate that it's easier and better with a supportive community. 
And so the truth is that we don't need need races to make it count and be worthwhile. Okay, we'd love races, but no matter what the situation, our mission is to create and retain purpose behind what we do. And so keep your ears open because there's more coming on this. But today for our Squatty Update, I throw it to you guys, the listeners. If you've got a compelling or original idea, let me know. Email info at Purple Patch Fitness and title it Match Challenge and I'd love input. I might even lean into inspiration and make it real. I know you bunch are a bunch of creatives. Now, remember, any challenge must include at least two of the three, accomplishment, community, and a little competition. doesn't have to be all three, but at least two. I also want the challenge to be accessible. I don't want it to be really elitist. I don't want it to just be for the non-competitive. The series or the challenge can be a series if appropriate. And yes, I am absolutely happy to lean into third-party platforms to make it successful and beneficial for all. And so what do you got to say? You can help us here. We want to create challenge for our athletes. And I think it's going to be fun. We're going to do it. But while I'm in creative mode, hey, why don't we lean into the listeners? If you've got any ideas, let them be known. We'd love to hear them. Info at purplepatchfitness.com, match challenges. Okay, now Barry, today, on today's show, I'm up in the ante for you. There's no chance of you losing your job, despite all this COVID-19 nonsense. It's going to be a busy day for you. We are keeping you busy, and right now, the day begins. It is Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way Let's open. The book. It's time to take a peek. It's the dictionary word of the week. Yes, it's word of the week. And guys, this is a short one this week. It's very short. Are you ready? Do your part. Wear a darn mask. It's not political to say it. It ain't about freedom. It's not about working out your risk. And frankly, it's not about you. It's about us, all of us. And it isn't hard. So do it. Wear a darn mask. The world appreciates it. You'll be making us all safer and more happy. And that will feel good to you, no? Good. That's why the word of the week is mask. Wear one. Enjoy it. Embrace it. Do your part. Now let's get on with the meat and potatoes. Yes, the meat and potatoes this week. It is the five rules of performance for fitness enthusiasts. Now a little preface here. Let's remember the methodology and guiding principles that makes up every Purple Patch program. As a driver behind performance, we have a very simple realization. And it's a realization that's been proven over many, many years across athlete populations, from world champions to people that you could designate as contemplators. 
And it is simply this, that when someone has a specific and appropriate endurance training program, including integrated strength, a solid backbone of simple, that word's important, simple but important fueling and nutrition habits, and it is all supported with great recovery, including sleep, the person accelerates every time. This is the number one rule. This is your recipe and what you drive towards. No magic potions, no special tools, no voodoo, no complexity. This is why we utilize the educational framework of the Purple Patch Pillars of Performance, endurance, strength, nutrition, and recovery. Because the mission is to position the performance recipe into a repeatable framework. It's to nail the basics of each element without becoming obsessive and is ultimately to find a sustainable path for yourself. The other important part of this umbrella philosophy is to provide a framework of context. We always aim to avoid athletes becoming myopic. We don't want athletes to fall into the trap of over-focusing on a single element of performance. Pardon the pun, but it is the interrelated recipe that carves the path to performance. And so in other words, you can work really hard in training, but if you undersleep and eat poorly, and then health and energy won't be ideal. And equally, you can obsess on the latest and greatest way to eat the new magical diet, but poor sleep and overtraining will lead to injury, energy fluctuations, and even fat retention. I could go on and on and on. And the irony is that this principle of performance recipe makes fertile ground for quackery, quick fix, and fringe performance promises. There are so many mystical diets and supplements and tools and straps and other performance sales pitches that belong more in Harry Potter than in normal life, but they still tout themselves to become the all-encompassing solution on your journey. The very best metrics, tools, and diets appreciate their role in the puzzle, but they don't promote themselves to be the solution of every performance ill. And so be cognizant of this when you receive information or you read information. But anyway, I digress. My five rules, your framework. What we're going to go through today is the guiding principle of the elements that you should try to get right first before you introduce anything else. Seriously, master these five things. Because if you can master these five things and get them right first, hear that again, first, and then you open up the catalyst to go on a serious acceleration of performance, become a master of these five rules before you introduce anything else. Oh, and a quiet warning, there are actually six, but who's counting? Okay, Barry, I told you that you're going to be busy. And so we're adding it right now. I think today we're going to need a little introduction on this show. I would like a nice drum roll, Parry. Can you pull that out of the closet? Thank you. Yes, here we go, guys. Rule number one in our performance journey. It is the power of low stress. Embrace the power of low stress. 
we begin with the one component that many athletes of all levels struggle with, going easy. In many ways, this rule or approach is all about playing the long game of performance. And it's a particularly tough one to adhere to and to stomach for time-starved fitness enthusiasts. If you think about it, if we have a world-class athlete training 20, 25, 30 hours weekly, and then that is a lot of training hours. And so therefore, by definition, a large amount of those training hours must be executed at lower stress, or they're going to get pretty darn tired pretty quick. They have a much greater chance of nailing this habit and all the performance benefits that come from hours and hours and hours of going easy, 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 because there is less of a tension of time optimization. 15 to 20 hours of really low stress training opens up five or 10 hours of much higher intensity training opportunity. But the concept of embracing low stress is much tougher for someone who's looking to optimize six or eight or 10 or even 12 hours in a week. The tendency is to lift the bottom up for these athletes, to drive up intensity, looking to feel the validation or feel the burn of training. No, not Bernie Sanders, but the actual burn of elevated training effort. And this is a mistake. No matter how few weekly hours you are doing, there is value in completing some of your training hours at low intensity. And so, because it's a rule, let me provide some context of what we gain in lower intensity training. Well, there are four main things. The first is optimal performance opportunity in the tough sessions. Yes, we get more out of the hard interval sessions if we bridge them with lower stress training sessions that facilitate some recovery and preparation for the key sessions. So it's all about raising the tough sessions and getting the biggest performance yield out of them. That's part one. Part two is by doing lower intensity, we're actually teaching the body to utilize fat as a fuel source and improve our efficiency. If we're always just training hard, 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 we might be driving to improve the capacity of our engine. But at the same time, if we use our car analogy, we also need to work on our miles per gallon. We want to become a better butter burner. And so low intensity training can help with that. And in fact, it's a critical component. The third benefit of leaning into lower stress sessions is these sessions are exactly the place that we get to work on technical development. Yes, guess what? Technique is important but it's also really tough to focus on when blood is pumping in your ears and you're going really hard. And so the lower physical stress sessions means the capacity to have far higher focus on technique if, 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 if you engage. And finally, low stress and high frequency of low stress training really improves tissue resilience. Now, this one is worth a little case study. And one that I think many of you guys will be helped by hearing, particularly if you're faced with frequent injuries in running. Let's talk about Peter. No, not that Peter from the Peter Minute. This is a different Peter. But Peter is frustrating with running. He consistently tends to lead into minor niggles. He gets four weeks into running and the next thing happens. 
He's driving forward towards getting faster, but, pardon the pun, he gets hamstrung every few weeks. The coaching, what do we do with an athlete like that? Well, we go easy. We go really easy, but we do it often. So we build resilience of the tissue and then ramp up intensity. Why? Well, most athletes out there, particularly developing athletes without a running history, are in too much of a rush to run hard. Before the, and I'm really sticking with the car analogies today, but before the chassis is really ready. And so the intervention for Peter in this case was not, I want you to space your runs out, but I actually want you to run five, even six times weekly. But his running duration, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, with a couple of the runs a week, 40 to 60 minutes, and all of those runs integrating walk breaks so that he could retain form throughout. And all of those runs for several weeks to begin were very low stress. Now, many of these sessions were just little add-ons. He would add on 10 minutes to a strength session, add on to a stronger bike full of intervals where he was really building that, quote, engine, then adding on just a little bit of running, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And the fitness that he developed, the big build the engine and resilience side of stuff, that climbed through the non-weight-bearing tough sessions. Resilience was developed through very, very easy, shorter and frequent running. And so what Peter did was he layered it week on week without too much thought at first. And over time, barely noticeable, his running resilience jumped. He wasn't injured, his niggles were gone, and his easy runs at the same perceived effort started to get faster. He didn't try and go faster, he just started running faster. And Peter began gradually to then add some strength-based hills once weekly. He added duration to an endurance focus run. He kept the very short and very easy runs into the mix, those little add-ons that we talked about. Not driving to more running, but really to keep those there to retain tissue health. And he hardly thought about these little sessions as, quote, training, as much as just soul-filling low-stress development. His mission, it wasn't on getting faster in six weeks. It was improving resilience to be more injury-free over six months. And now, looking back on it two years later, he's yet to be injured again. He's running with freedom, including a lovely recipe of interval speed and, of course, a commitment to retaining that little bit of smarts. So Peter's journey was all because he had the courage to go really easy, a lot, for a long time. And he leaned into the multi-sport lens of hard intervals in swimming and biking, but enabled his run resilience to come. And so, with that context, those four elements, rule number one, have the courage and embrace the easy, the power of low stress. So to rule number two, here it is. No drum roll for this, or maybe. Yeah, let's do it. Barry, give us a drum roll. 
Boom. There it is. Rule number two, variance. Rule number two is that variance and intervals are king or queen as you wish. You just got me pitching on the power of easy and it is without paradox that rule number two focuses on going hard. So yes, training is hard, but you must lean into the power of easy. Now we talk about the heart. And with that in mind, the body loves variance. No, the body needs variance. To move your performance needle in your more focused sessions, structured and progressive intervals are absolutely key. Yes, rule number two, you must lean into variance and intervals. I see so many triathletes swimming up and down the pool, accumulating time, only thinking about technique. I witness so many runners logging miles and riders whose mission it is to bank more miles than last week or just do an epic adventure. And there is space and it is important to do plenty of free, fun, and dare I say it, soul-filling training. A lot of your training should be under-obsessive, even sometimes a little random and joyous. In fact, I'd go as far to say that it's okay, absolutely fine, to occasionally stray off script. Many people are way too over-litigious with their own training. But behind this is the backbone of your performance journey. And that's the simple fact that intervals are central. So a few principles behind this rule. First, the body responds better to variance. And so, therefore, we should aim in some degree to hit almost every intensity every week. Yes, you should hit some very high intensity in your training. You should hit some moderate tempo work. You should also have flashes of threshold, all supported with rule number one, plenty of lower stress work. Now, as your hours of weekly training go up, the ratio of lower stress training increases by necessity. This is a recipe that should be structured and progressive. And in fact, I would argue one of the central reasons that a coach or coaching team can be the accelerant in your adaptations and improvement. Because a big part of what a coach says or does is to actually create the structure that's appropriate for you to ensure that those intervals are in the right dose for what you're looking to accomplish. And so we need to make sure that we're hitting intensity every week. The second component of variance is anchored around a saying that is gold. And that is that a random approach will supply random results. Intervals are a key way in which you actually get to create a structured and progressive element to your training. It is the very thing that your training should hang on, that the framework should be built around. And it can also allow insights of progression or, of course, red flags if things are not progressing. And finally, intervals are a wonderful element, I would say a beautiful element, of a multiple sport approach. Now for you, the enthusiast who tends to stray towards injury in sports such as running, leaning into a multi-sport approach, whether it's adding swimming or rowing or elliptical or riding, can be a potent route 
to add in variance and intervals, hence get the training stimulus without the added risk. And so, rule number two, variance and intervals. Okay, folks, we're two in. Go easy and also inject intervals. And in many ways, how we kick off our five rules is the simplified mantra around a quality training program. Of course, it always gets more nuanced than this, but if nothing else, this is a wonderful thing to keep in mind. Any program written out that doesn't highlight these two elements is just simply fodder to feed to the local go-to-a-farm because it isn't going to optimize your performance. A smart program for a fitness enthusiast needs to be structured and progressive and anchored around plenty of easy and, of course, structured and progressive intervals. Now, we get to go to rule number three. And rule number three of your fitness journey is all about what you do following workouts. Barry, give it. Perfect. Thank you for the drum roll again. You're being very well behaved, Barry. I appreciate it. Here we go. Yes, rule number three. It is essential that you fuel following every session. If you can, eat real food and eat real food quickly. Within about 30 to 40 minutes following the, the end of any training session you do, underline bold capital, any training session you do, eat, eat quickly, and we nail it. Now, with so much variance in dietary advice out there and conflicts about everything from extended duration fasting, P.S., don't do that, carb-loading overflow, P.S., don't do that, from vegan to big meat, there is one performance habit that permeates from me. In the big picture of performance, that habit is post-workout fueling. And let me explain my reasoning on this. Now, to do this, we must zoom out of the biomechanical do's and don'ts of performance nutrition. We need to broaden our lens to energy management, habits, control of proper eating, creating a pathway of consistency in training, as well as getting the yield of adaptations. My reason is about delivering control to you, about establishing repeatable habits that are going to boost your energy and your adaptations and ultimately make your performance life a little easier. And so breaking it down, folks, and here we go, because I'm kind of in the mood. Here we go. Post-workout fueling, there are really two main macronutrients we care about, protein and carbohydrate. But the question is why? And so let's begin with protein. The first reason that we want to consume protein following a workout is that it begins the repair and adaptation process of tissue. So you begin to get, yes, stronger and fitter. You also maximize your recovery between sessions and you enable adaptations to yield from your hard work of that training. Now, there is plenty of research to show that non-competitive athletes can achieve protein goals by spreading it across the day. But remember, we go big picture here. And so we have to bring in the second reason of why protein is important. 
And that's that protein is a natural suppressor of stress hormones such as cortisol. And so when you train, stress hormones are high. And that's super because elevated stress hormones help you perform in the session. But of course, we as very busy, time-starved enthusiasts don't want to carry these stress hormones throughout our normal day when we're trying to stay calm, focus, make important decisions. And consuming protein immediately following a workout helps by bringing the cortisol and other stress hormones down. And so there it is. Now, there's more to it than this, but this allows some context. So now let's spread to the other macronutrient, carbohydrate. When we think about carbs, consuming carbs following, the first mission is it replenishes depleted energy resources that are utilized in training. And the reason that we want to replenish those muscle energy resources is that it optimizes a return to readiness for training. And so therefore, it's a gateway to facilitate consistency of training. Now, once again, much research will show that fitness enthusiasts training once a day at most need to be less concerned about this. You can just eat throughout the day and you can play catch up and by the time the next day's session comes, you'll be good to go. But we have a bigger picture component here. The second component of consuming carbohydrates following a workout is that by doing so, you end up limiting sensations to what I call athletic starvation. And athletic starvation is a situation in which you put yourself in such a caloric deficit that it ends up leading to the athlete or person having unfavorable actions on eating in the rest of the day. Now, the best way to highlight this is via a true case study. We're going to come to Bill, who's a very busy executive, and he tends to train daily in the mornings. But, and there is a club of you guys out there I know, he hates breakfast. Now, his biggest challenge is mostly focused around control of eating. He gets up, he does his workout, and then post-workout, he skips breakfast. Off to the office. At about 10.30 in the morning, time to wake up. He has a cup of coffee and typically a snack. Something like a bagel would be the normal thing. By the time he hits lunch and he's been awake for several hours and been charging with a workout in the bank, he is hungry. And despite wishing to, quote, eat great, he really struggles to control. He overeats on portions and he tends to fall into choices that are very carb heavy. Yep, a big sandwich, chips, and goodness me, those office cookies are just so hard to skip over, aren't they, Bill? In the afternoon, the slump, lethargy, tiredness, a challenge to focus. And so what does he do? Of course, as you would, another cup of coffee. Before this, it was Coke, but he's enforced the shift. I'm just going to do coffee now. He gets the buzz, but by nighttime, he's starving again. And once again, he overeats. And yes, you've guessed it before I even tell you, he often has broken sleep. 3.30 p.m. coffee, the cause? Hmm, who knows? Maybe. But to create the flip, Bill was persuaded to do an incredibly simple thing. 
fuel following the workout, a real breakfast. And as I said to Bill, your mummy said breakfast was the most important meal of the day and now your performance daddy is saying the same. And yes, that quote left us both feeling mildly uncomfortable, but at least he remembered it. The truth is that that simple habit changed everything. His urges were reduced, control was gained, and his choices became better. So what was happening? Well, by shifting Bill to consuming calories post-workout, he was avoiding that athletic starvation. He avoided the body's natural starvation signals that tend to jump in when it's in great deficit. And when those signals come, the body cries out for the calories that are in demand, carbs. And of course, he's going to get big urges of hunger. And so those signals or urges for carbohydrate and the elevated hunger was causing him to overeat of the foods that are going to create lethargy. Because the cascade continues without post-workout fueling, that choice of carb-heavy lunch, over-consumed, remember, is going to lead to tiredness. And that leads to coffee or a sugary drink so that he can focus. But then that leads to poor sleep. All while the body is less adept at taking those calories and storing them as the energy packets that we call glycogen. And so before you get pulled into the many directions of overcomplicating diets or your habits, don't start eliminating food groups or buying a calendar and a timer to tell you when you're allowed to eat. Stick to the basics. Plenty of proteins, plenty of good oils, tons of veggies, stay well hydrated, but most importantly, nail post-workout fueling. And try it. Don't check the waistline to see if it's a success. That's going to come. Instead, check how you feel, your focus, your mood, your energy, your clarity. That's what we target first. How does the athlete feel? How's their consistency? And I promise you, it's going to help you. It's going to help a semblance of control. It's going to help your energy levels. It's going to create consistency and performance in your training. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why rule number three is always embrace post-workout fueling. Okay, and so we go to rule number four. Barry, give it to me. Yes, all right, guys, we're almost home. Rule number four, you must always get your strength in. Yep, we are designed to lift heavy things. Now, sometimes that might even mean our body weight. But strength training, and everything that falls under that banner, such as mobility, agility, stability, it's all not just a route for injury prevention. It is a performance tool for you. It's going to help you thrive. It's going to build resilience. It's going to increase your capacity to work. It's going to improve you as an athlete globally. It is important for world-class athletes. It is helpful and performance enhancing for everyday folk, and it is absolutely critical for females 40 and above, as well as the more mature athlete generally. We like to label them that, our AARP anarchists. But why? Well, 
Here's what strength training brings. Number one, a well-rounded athleticism. Most people tend to stray, particularly as they advance in age, stray towards an over-focus on a narrow field of sport. An example being running, which is mostly linear play. Introducing strength training improves your global athleticism, your coordination, and your synchronization. Good thing, right? Good. Secondly, strength training improves your tissue health. An overload of tissue, done right, yes, that is structured and progressive. There's the element once again. And the value of proper guidance and coaching, we're going to get you there as well. But it is going to improve your resilience as well as your capacity to absorb work. You become able to yield training. Now, number three, by introducing strength training itself is not going to directly improve you as an endurance fitness enthusiast. It's not going to make you, quote, faster or build your endurance capacity. So if you're an endurance athlete, strength training isn't the thing that's going to boost your power on the bike. It isn't the thing that's going to get you faster on the run. Those two elements will do that. But what it will do is improve your potential to improve. If executed correctly, strength training will increase muscles and muscle fibers that are able to be utilized in the usable mix of your sport. So in other words, they're able to be recruited in the activities that you care about. You cannot achieve that overload by just doing those activities. And so strength training is a great supporting element. It is the orchestra to the actors that are on the stage. And beyond all of those, a well-planned strength training program also sets you up for the rigors of life, including improving your posture, your mobility, and your overall function. Now, all of this doesn't even go into special population considerations, thinking about bone health for pre- and post-menopausal women, decreased functional movement as people glide into their 50s and 60s. But here's the good news, folks. A little bit of this stuff goes a long way. You don't have to get a CrossFit tattoo, and goodness me, aren't you glad that you haven't? But you don't have to also buy a Pilates reformer. Those remind me of being bullied in high school, I've got to tell you. Short sessions, even from home, provide all the power that you need to succeed in strength. And that is why rule number four is to get your strength training in. And so we have one more. In the whole world of performance, what could it be? What could I choose? We've had four so far. Go easy. Intervals and variants. Post-workout fueling. Strength training. What could the last one be? Well, I am the recovery coach, so I'm told. And we are doing a quick hit list of five rules to help performance. And I am in the need of something a little catchy and buzzworthy, I must tell you. So what's the subject du jour in performance? Oh yes, this will do. Train enough and consistently, but always leave room for proper sleep. 
Rule number five, always leave room for proper sleep. This is short, simple, yet critical and often missed. Sleep quantity and quality is critical for your energy, mood, health, focus, memory, sports performance, tissue health, results, life, society, world, curing cancer, solving societal conflicts, harmony for all, reversing the wealth gap, the first men on Mars. Is there anything else? Likely, but I think you get it. Sleep is central to your performance. And so, why is it so hard for so many to get sleep in? Sleep is central to your performance. And so, why is it as hard to get many people to sleep as it is to get them to wear a darn mask? Sleep is where your adaptations occur. Sleep is where your emotions are processed. Sleep will improve your memory, your focus, your energy management, your decision-making, your happiness, your critical and contextual thinking. There is so much more. But it strays as a priority as we battle the worn-out adage of poor sleep being a badge of honor or of hard work ethic. Double down on effectiveness rather than accumulation. Don't dump training programs on top of life at the expense of sleep. Train enough, but leave room for sleep. You will be happy for it, and guess what? So will your friends and family and bosses or workers. Sleep, it is the wonder drug of performance. And that, folks, is that. Almost. But I do have room for a sneaky one. Because underlying all of these rules of engagement is one more. One that I want you to remember the bonus one. I don't even call it number six and it's not even going to get a drum roll, Barry. Enjoy the journey without obsession. This performance journey of yours is important, but it doesn't need to be over-engineered. It isn't a second job for you. It doesn't even need to be perfect. You're not a pro. You shouldn't see it as a punishment. Your self-worth as a person isn't related to even how fast you run. Do your best for yourself. Allow yourself a little bit of flexibility to stray sometimes without guilt. Knowing that a backbone of performance is going to help you enjoy life. But it isn't going to make your life. And so... I would encourage you not to piss away hours of obsession, data crunching relating to training at the expense of the joy of being part of a community, trying hard, challenging yourself, the love of the outdoors. There, I just gave you permission to enjoy a beer post-run. It ain't going to kill you, sister. Enjoy the journey and you will be more successful. It doesn't make the journey easy, but it makes it more rewarding. Oh, and speaking of rewarding, let's do a very quick Peter Minute. Yes, the Peter Minute. And it's a little bit of a tougher one for me this week to update Peter's fans as he has taken the bold step of travel. Yes, getting on a plane of all things, ladies and gentlemen. Face marks, ski goggles, sanitizers and wipes. Not even a wink at the other passengers. Not even the touch of the pull-down tray in isolation within a group. 
and with his status, he could offer the agent a wink and a nod as he glided through security, first class always for Peter, of course, as you would expect. He escaped to a remote place, and he ran alone. He hiked alone. He even drank alone. He is removed but never closer. His training built confidence and excitement for the big weeks ahead. And folks, there are some big weeks ahead. And so next week, we can anticipate a bigger one from Peter. But his report this week, safe, healthy, another week banked in a far and remote place. That's it as we track a Peter whose identity is unknown, getting ready for an event that is unknown happening at a time that we don't know yet. And now, Barry, I've been in the mood all day for you, and you have been so obliging. Is there anything that you can think of as sending off this episode off in style? Something grandiose, something laden with a little bit of irony, maybe a flash of ego in there, but really simple in delivery. What have you got for me? <laughs> that is so you, Bazza. You're such a good boy. Well done. That's it, folks. Thank you very much. Look forward to next week already. It's going to be a good one. We've got a very interesting conversation all about psychology. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers! <laughs>